Hey everyone, welcome to another F Sharp podcast. Today, Adam and I talk about the Federal Reserve, interest rate hikes, and the money supply, and how all of this plays into inflation and the economy. We hope you find this episode helpful. Please like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the F-Sharp Podcast, presented by Harmony Wealth, a podcast geared to educate you on all things financial. Co-hosts Tanner Bortnam and Adam Henning discuss various financial topics presented in a consumable and entertaining manner. Tanner is a certified financial planner, JD, and financial expert, while Adam is a marketing professional and small business owner. It's time to harmonize. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to episode 14 of the Financially Sharp podcast. I'm Adam Henning, joined as always with our financial expert, certified financial planner, Tanner Bortnam. Tanner, how are we doing this morning? Not too bad. How are you, Adam? Doing pretty good. Uh, we're recording this at the end of February, so the Super Bowl's over. Uh, the Olympics have concluded. Um, any? Did you watch the Olympics at all, Tanner, or... Big, big uh, USA Pride, Olympic Pride. <laughs> uh, I did a little bit. Uh, I prefer Summer Olympics over Winter Olympics, but um, you know, speed skating is always really cool. Um, you know, bobsled and that I like watching. I was able to catch some of those, and then um, whatever that interesting. I think it's called rifling, or I don't, maybe that's not right. Yeah, biathlon. Yeah, where they yeah. have to do the cross country skiing guns and, and skiing perfect combo uh, and it's not even it's more just it's such an obscure combo and then you know just target shooting i i just that to me is really impressive how you know quickly they can calm their breath after you know skiing for however many kilometers and then you know hit these tiny little targets i, I think that's pretty impressive yeah i love the olympics i think i would agree with the the summer over the winter mm-hmm. um I don't know. This just seemed weird, but COVID time difference, um, the proximity of the summer to the uh, winter, just kind of. Yep. Yeah, we just got done with. Didn't watch much, but I watched a ton of curling. I love curling. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, not three of the four are from Minnesota, so sure. Um, I pretty um, pretty familiar with those guys, and I curl myself, so. It's interesting. Yeah. See, I I think I would enjoy playing curling, but watching it to me is probably like what most people think watching golf is like. I just, you know, I don't know. It's like, you know, big shuffleboard and I I don't really want to watch that. I think it'd be fun to play, but watching it is is, uh, a little boring to me. I think you have to definitely play first and then understand how incredibly difficult it is sure and then you will appreciate what they're doing and then you have to understand what they're doing because you're just like oh they're just throwing a bunch of stones um but yeah there is it is a big strategy game if you can identify the shot and then second hit the shot (laughs) sure 
Oh yeah, so. yeah. I'm sure it is significantly more difficult than than it looks. But like I said, not something I I was watching during the Olympics. Yeah, it's always fun. So um, look forward to where's the next Olympics? Summer Olympics? I don't know. Paris, London. That sounds Paris. right. I think Paris. Paris 24. That sounds right. So and then L.A. I think. Yeah, LA is twenty eight, or is it twenty six? No, that would make sense. Twenty eight summer. Yeah, yeah. Might have to buy a ticket. Yeah, yeah. Who knows what the world will look like by then? I mean, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Hopefully, well, I think I looked up uh, the last Olympics that made money. I think was LA ninety two or Atlanta ninety six, just because of the infrastructure. So, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these. how that all shakes out. A lot of those countries, yeah, build, you know, especially the Summer Olympics, you know, building those new track and, you know, uh, swim facilities specifically for the Olympics that pretty much don't get used after that. Um, yeah, big, big, big expense. Well, speaking of expenses and rates and interest rates and all that fun stuff. Um, <laughs> Episode 14's topic is what are Federal Reserve interest hikes and money supplies? We're going to talk about uh, reserve rates and money supply today or in this episode. Um, so what are we? What, are, what is your game plan for this episode, Tanner? Um, well, I, just, I thought this would be a really uh, good time to kind of go over this. I know we had a previous podcast on inflation. Um, you know, and, and so we, we talked about that. That was, let's see, back in December. Um, and that was more in, in relation to how it, um, you know, how it works with your financial plan. Um, but with, you know, I'm sure if, if you've been watching the news, uh, you know, we're all familiar that the fed is expected to raise rates here come March. Um, you know, how much they're going to raise, we'll find out. Uh, but really just kind of talking about what, what does that mean? Like, what is a Fed rate hike? What what does it do? Why are they looking at doing that? And then from my standpoint and my opinion, what is the money supply and, and the Fed balance sheet? And what does that look like? And why is that, again, in my opinion, more important for the Fed to focus on? And just kind of give people some you know background on what all those things are. Um, so that when it comes up here and, and through the next, you know, oncoming months, uh, you know, we just have a better idea of, of what that means. Is this, uh, ongoing or is this, uh, is there a specific thing that's happened already that we can brace for or, um, what, or when can we expect the hikes to happen? Yeah. Yeah. They're expected to happen here to start here in March. Um, so let's start with that. Let's, let's go over the rate hikes and then the second half can be the money supply. Um, yeah, the rate hikes are expected to start here in March. Uh, what they are is the federal reserve sets the federal funds rate. And what that is, is the interest rate that banks can borrow money from the fed. Um, because of, you know, Dodd-Frank and a bunch of other regulations, there's a, minimum amount um, without getting too far into the weeds basically just think of it as there's a minimum amount that banks have to have kind of as a cash reserve and if they don't have that based on transactions of 
all the people throughout the country taking out money, they can borrow this you know, overnight from the Fed. And the federal funds rate is what banks can borrow that at. So it doesn't perfectly correlate with other interest rates um, because just because the federal funds rate goes up doesn't mean that, you know, let's say the Fed raises rates 0.25%. That doesn't mean that mortgages are going to go up exactly 0.25%. They'll work in tandem, you know, as the federal funds rate goes up, all other interest rates go up as well, but it's not perfectly, okay, everything's going to go up, you know, a quarter of a percent. Um, but it does start that process of raising interest rates. And one of the reasons that the Fed wants to raise interest rates is to help combat inflation. Um, higher interest rates lead to less loans, which leads to less people obviously taking out loans and it kind of slows the economy a little bit from it getting too hot and a hot economy tends to have higher inflation. And so by not making the money as easy to get to because interest rates are higher, it will slow the economy a bit and then in turn should help um, lower inflation. So that's that's kind of the, the theory of, of what the Fed is looking at with interest rate hikes. Trying to correct the market. Um, when was the last time that uh, that uh, this or Federal Reserve interest rates hikes happened? Or sure, well, they, the government intervened to to help correct the market. Yeah, so I mean, they the Fed is always moving rates. Um, right. You know, thinking about probably the last time you know everyone remembers the financial crisis of 07, 08. Um, and into 09, uh, you know, throughout that, when the crisis was starting to happen, the Fed lowered in their interest rates, which made it easier for people to take out loans because um, interest rates were lower and they were trying to help spur the economy. They're trying to help lessen the blow of the recession that was happening because as more people take out loans, more money is out there moving in the markets and, and spurring economic growth by either starting a new business or buying supplies or materials or whatever it may be. But as that's happening, that's helping, you know, spur the economy and, and try to get us back on track. And then as the economy, um, you know, starts to, to heat up and things start to look better, then that's when the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates so that they're building in a buffer, um, you know, kind of two things. One, as, as we went over just a little bit ago, they'll raise interest rates to try to make sure the economy doesn't get too hot and inflation doesn't get out of control. Um, and the other aspect of it is, is they're trying to build a buffer again so that they're not still sitting at zero, which is where they are. You know, They need to raise those interest rates so that when we get to a, the next recession, because there is going to be another one, it's a matter, you know, I always say it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Well, they need to build that buffer up. So let's say I'm, you know, I'm making up numbers because I don't work for the Fed. I don't know how high they're going to get to. But let's say they eventually, you know, over time, work this up and they get to 2%. Well, now they have a 2% buffer for the next recession that they can go back down to help spur the economy the next time we have a recession. And so that's another reason why they need to get going on this and probably should have been doing this sooner. But, it, you know, we are where we are at this point. No use 
talking about what should have happened in the future or in the past. But, you know, they need to build that buffer in so that we're prepared for the next recession whenever that comes. Because if they do nothing and it's still at zero and we get a recession, I mean, what, what are they supposed to do? They, they don't have one of their tools to help lower interest rates. They're already at, at zero and they're not going to go negative. What's the number? What's the normal range that they um, try to live within? You know, the inflation, what is 2.5% they always try to stick at? But yeah, around. What's the around, Federal Reserve interest rate that they try to build in? Um, again, I think it's always fluctuating based on how the economy itself is performing. Um, if the economy is doing really, really well, they can raise, you know, the federal funds interest rate um, to, you know, build in a bigger buffer. Um, but what they're trying to do, the two main goals of the Fed is full employment. And I believe it's technically called like a reasonable rate of inflation, which yeah is somewhere between, you know, two and three percent. You know, and right now we're way above that. So that's why they want to obviously raise interest rates, help pull that inflation number back and get it to, you know, that more reasonable um, long-term inflation. So when they do this that, and um, they're, they're raising interest rates, how long is there historical data that you can use to project or forecast how long it will take to kind of correct the market and bring it back to supply <laughs> back down or is that um you know a crystal ball and we'd be rich if you could, you could yeah project, uh, project that. more of the crystal ball um so there is historical data typically the first rate hike again typically um the first rate hike doesn't impact the markets themselves all that much because it's expected it's once you know, they start getting more and more and more rate hikes in there. Um, you know, as of the time that, that we're doing this recording, you know, we don't know what the Fed's going to do uh, yet here come March. But the estimation is, you know, either a, um, a 0.25% increase or maybe a 0.5% increase to start it off of the federal funds rate. And then it's expected that they'll raise rates, you know, anywhere between another three to five or six times throughout 2022 you know no, again no one really knows at this point and until the fed tells us what their game plan is we don't we don't know what it is but what it again what it does as as it keeps getting higher and higher so you get into those later stages of interest rate hikes that's when it can you know have more of a detrimental effect on on really cooling the market again the the higher interest rates are, the more expensive it is to take out loans, which means less people are taking out loans, which means less economic activity is happening. And so, you know, I think that that's probably going to be more um, indicative of, of what would happen is when, when we get to that point. Um, if we get to that point, I guess, I don't want to try to predict the future, but when, you know, if, when we get to the point of they're in, you know, in their sixth rate hike or whatever, you know, we're, we're probably at that point going to see a lot, a lot more slowdown than we will just with this first one. From a day-to-day financials budget standpoint, but also from a, a portfolio standpoint, is this a timely 
um, opportunity to take advantage of in terms of some financial decisions or is it bad for some things? What are, what are some of those good, bad things while it, while the interest rates are low or should we wait for some things like, I know that's a very broad brush question, (laughs) but, um, Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, you know, again, going back to the financial plan you have, you know, with your advisor that you're working on, um, you know, the, yeah, there's there's some pros and cons to a lot of things. You know, obviously, if you were looking at taking out a loan, doing it as soon as possible is better before rates start going up. Now, on the flip side of that, housing prices, you know, across the country are astronomically high. So, you know, do you rush to get a lower interest rate loan, but potentially overpay on a house because housing is way high? You know, that right. that's a dependent upon where you live and, you know, who you're working with um as far as like the markets go a lot of this is already priced into the market uh you know so these decisions needed to be made you know in january december stuff like that to reposition your portfolio um you know into into different areas that do well in a rising interest rate environment i know we talked on a a couple um podcasts ago uh, or a couple episodes ago about, you know, financials, for example, tend to do well in a rising interest rate environment. Well, we know that interest rates are going up. So a lot of that is priced into those financials at this point. So it's not like you should, you know, oh, the Fed's going to raise rates here at some point in March. Let's buy right now. No, you needed to be buying six months ago, you know, four months ago. Uh, it's, it's that ship has sort of sailed as far as the main growth on it now. Is there still going to be growth in the financials? Sure, of course. Um, but, you know, for kind of your bigger bang for your buck, you know, needs to be more of um, more well thought out, I guess, you know, and, and should have been, you know, hopefully your advisor was working on repositioning your portfolio you know, several months ago. I always just, how long do we expect this to? Is it uh, the f- combination of things of the the interest rates, interest rate hikes, um, and supply, um, kind of evening out and catching back up after the pandemic to solve this oversaturation of money and and the money supply? Well, we haven't really we've been sticking with the interest rate hikes first and we can move into the money supply if you, you know, for kind of the second part of this. So that that's a question more for that. Um, or did we not touch on anything? Um, not yet. Everything so far has been, you know, rate hikes, but you know, right. Kind of, is there anything else that you wanted to to touch on with the interest rate stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can answer that question. Just have it, you know, in terms of rate hikes, how long can we expect this to go on? I would say, you know, barring some unforeseen, which I know, you know, gets thrown a lot or thrown out a lot in my industry, but it really is barring something unforeseen. You know, I I think we're going to have a a series of rate hikes that, you know, tries to get interest uh, or not interest, tries to get the inflation under control and, the hard part for the Fed, while you know, I know they're they're catching a lot of flack for not starting early, and you know, but the thing is, the data, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, 
and it's really going to be dependent upon how how sticky this inflation is you know if supply chains continue to take longer than expected to work themselves out they may have to raise rates longer than they would otherwise want to because inflation may stay high solely because there isn't enough supply you know to meet the demand uh, but if the supply chains work themselves out faster than expected they may not have to raise rates as much because as the supply chain works itself out it will help you know combat inflation as well so to say exactly how much and how long this is going to take to go through it you know no one no one knows it's going to be dependent upon how the data continues to roll out. And, and, you know, I would say if inflation stays high, there's a really, really good chance that there will be more interest rate hikes. But if inflation comes down, well, now they don't have to have as many interest rate hikes because, you know, inflation has brought itself down. It, it's working. They don't need to keep, you know, raising interest rates to try to bring inflation down even more. So we don't really know exactly how many they're going to do. Obviously, all the estimates out there are just that they're estimates and and you know they're anywhere between um you know three and i think up to seven right now uh rate hikes just for 2022 and that, that's all they are they're estimations trying to predict what is future inflation going to look like because really that's going to be the driver of the fed's decision of how much you know how many more rate hikes they need to do will be how inflation's looking It can't get worse than 2021, correct? <laughs> as far as inflation? Yeah. Um, I mean, it. I will say it shouldn't, but I mean, it, it definitely could. Um, and that's not to scare anyone. It's just there's, there's always a chance that it could. I mean, if, if let's say we get, you know, coronavirus 5.0 or whatever number we're at right now and, and governments around the world decide to shut down their economies again, you know, and now we throw another wrench into the supply chain, well, that adds even less supply for the demand that's still there. So, I mean, there, there, it potentially could. It's not looking like it should, but, I mean, there's always a potential that things theoretically could get worse. But the economy itself is strong, and as the supply chains work themselves out, which hopefully we don't have any more hiccups or bumps in the road in terms of that, they can start working themselves out, and, you know, things should get back to more of normal we're at pretty much full employment right now um so really it's just the fed trying to get in, uh, inflation under control and then they're at their you know their goals of full employment with a you know reasonable amount of inflation um so they have one of them done or taken care of oh, covid just seems like that two-year-long nightmare that you want to wake up from yeah, I mean we we are. And 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 with that, you know, I think that kind of works well kind of now to transition us into the money supply. Um this is one of the areas that I don't think is talked about nearly enough. It is a little bit more complex. I mean, people understand interest rates cuz we have them on, you know, loans, we have them on mortgages, we have them on credit cards, like we get that. And so I think that news outlets tend to focus on interest rates more because it's easier to understand. Um, I actually think that the the M2 is what it's called, the money supply. So the amount of money that is in the economy um, is 
equally, if not more important for the Fed to focus on. And I do want to kind of go over some of that too, in case any of our listeners hear, you know, about this M2 supply or the money supply and why, why it's such a big deal. Um, so to kind of start, I think that having an analogy to talk about the money supply and how it has an ef- effect on inflation would be really good and kind of lead us, you know, through the rest of the, the podcast here. Um, so what money supply is, is it's just that it, it's the money supply that's in the economy. So, you know, if, if I, uh, buy something from you, Adam, and I give you a hundred bucks, that doesn't add any money to the money supply because I have a hundred less dollars. You have a hundred more dollars on the economy as a whole. It's a net zero. What adds money to the money, uh, the M2 is when the Federal Reserve buys bonds, which is what they were doing throughout the pandemic. And what they've done, you know, previously, quantitative easing and different things in, in previous times, but particularly with the pandemic, what they were doing was they were buying, yeah, buying bonds. They were putting money into the market by buying bonds and helping infuse money into the economy so that it would help us recover from, you know, I'm sure everyone remembers, we had about 30, 35% drop really, really quick when we shut the economy down. And so they were putting money into the economy to try to help spur growth. And the other thing they did was sent, you know, sent checks to almost everybody. And that added more money to the money supply because there isn't, you know, if, if you received a check from the government, you didn't, you know, provide a service, so to speak. The government just added more money to the to the economy by giving you that. So now you have it, and now there's, you know, and everyone else or that got it has it. Now there's, you know, a lot more money in the economy. And the problem with that is, and here's the analogy of why that leads to inflation and why I think that this is really the, the area that the Fed should be focusing on. Um, and, and I cannot take credit for this analogy. I've heard it, but it's, it's an amazing way to explain how this has an impact. So before COVID, let's think about the economy as having 10 apples in the economy and $10 in the, or 10 apples and $10 are, are in our economy. So obviously each apple costs a dollar because there's 10, 10 each. What happened during COVID was twofold. One, the government, as I you know, just said, put a bunch of money into the market. They put about 30% more money supply than we had into the market. So now we have $13 in the economy for 10 apples. So now these apples don't cost a dollar anymore. They cost a dollar 30, 30% inflation. Then the government shut itself down and shut down the economy. So we went from 10 apples to five. So now each apple costs $2.60. That's inflation. That's what happened over these last two years. And that's why we're in this big issue that we're in. Is It was a double whammy effect. More money plus shutting down the economy, having us have less supply. Um, the supply chain will work itself out. And eventually we will go back up to having 10 apples. But we need one of two other things to happen. Either we need to become more efficient as a country and get ourselves to making 13 apples 
so that we're back to even of each apple is worth a dollar or what is more under our control is the fed can instead of buying bonds they can start selling these bonds back which takes money out of the economy and will bring that $13 in the economy down to 12 and then down to 11 and then hopefully back down to 10 get us back to equilibrium and that in my opinion and a lot of other top economists opinion is the most powerful way that the Federal Reserve has to address inflation because they have direct control over selling bonds and as soon as they sell bonds money is now out of the economy and inflation should directly start coming down because there's less dollars out there to buy the supply that we have does that all make sense yes yep good good for my my pea brain <laughs> not try the apples yeah not trying to say that it's just it's a very basic analogy of of what happened now obviously we don't just have 10 apples and we don't have just 10 dollars in the economy we have trillions of dollars that we're working with so this is going to be a very big undertaking for the fed to get their balance sheet back in order and sell some of these assets that they have obviously it's a complex issue but um in your opinion or other people's opinions did it have or has it have had the effect that they intended um it just seems kind of like the, a bad idea that they infuse so much cash into the market and um obviously we were w working in uncertain times and a pandemic that we've never seen before but mm -hmm. yeah i mean i can't say that everybody was it's <laughs> it seems like oh i got free money from the government why isn't it always like this or b let's buy um some things that we don't necessarily need and we're we're buying wants instead of needs when that cash infusion was probably intended for um you know rent and and some things that are are needs but um i mean i i think it, that that you know that question right there is is as, as complex as you know what situation that the government you know was in we've like you said we've never had a pandemic you know like this uh we've never shut an economy down i think that's was hindsight's 2020 and, and acknowledging that i think that was the biggest mess up you know our economy has millions and millions of pieces just to deliver you know a computer to your house for you to buy a computer there are millions of pieces and situations and people that all have to work together to get you all those components from different places, you know, mine, mining the whatever type of resources that are in a computer, because obviously I don't build them, I don't know exactly what's all in here, then bringing all that, then someone has to transport, so now you have transporting, and then you have people who did the logistics of the transporting, and then, you know, there, there's millions of tr transactions that happen every single day that no one is aware of just to get us the things that we have, and by shutting down the economy completely, it's not a light switch. You don't just be like, okay, everyone's back to work. Light switch back on. We're, we're rolling at 100% capacity again. It doesn't work like that. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest error. 
Um, you know, looking back, if they could do that over again, I think the government probably wouldn't do that. Um, but as far as the money supply, I mean, should they have pumped as much money into the government or into the economy? Again, I mean, I don't know. Hindsight says no, obviously, but from where they were sitting, not knowing where we are now, that's pretty hard to say. I mean, the government shut itself down. People were at home, not, you know, people were laid off. People didn't have money. Um, do I think that they should have maybe taken another week instead of just rushing a lot of the bills and proposals through to get people money instantaneous or as fast as they could? I think so. I think, you know, the government as a whole just sees a problem and just throws a bunch of money at it. And it's like, okay, it'll be fixed. And then a year or two later turns around and complains about the results of it you know well if you didn't want x y and z to happen take a little bit more time and outlaw x y and z from happening when giving the money but if you just throw a bunch of money out and there are no real strings attached or rules in regards to that money you can't turn around complain that people didn't use the money how you wanted them to because there were no rules they can use it however they want um so i don't know i think that that's just really hard to say that they made an an error at the time. Uh, you know, obviously looking back, we could have told him, no, you, you should have only given out this much because we can do those calculations now. Um, but they didn't. They didn't know how long this was going to work or, you know, how long coronavirus is going to be around and how long, you know, government had to be shut down and, and all those things. So um, I don't know. I think the one thing that is universal is the Fed should have been, they should have been working on this interest rates and, uh, you know, selling assets off their balance sheet sooner. Um, that one is pretty universal. They should have started this last year, not waited till March this year to keep doing it. You know, and it's it's kind of silly, like, you know, what we we're just talking about. They need to sell assets from the balance sheet. And in, I think it was December, they were still buying assets. They were still adding to the balance sheet when we didn't need to. So they were, you know, inflation was high and they were still buying buying still create causing inflation to continue to be higher and at that point they said well we're gonna lessen them we're gonna keep buying we're just not gonna buy as much and we're gonna lessen the amount we buy over the next three months and get to zero by march and then look at starting to sell assets and again it's like you know another analogy that i can't take credit for but that paints this picture perfectly is that's like digging a hole and knowing that you have to fill this hole back in and saying, ah, for the next three months, I'm going to keep digging. I'm not going to work as hard and I'm not going to dig as much, but I'm going to keep digging and make this hole bigger and literally turn around and start filling it in. Like, just stop. They should have just stopped buying. You know, quit making the problem worse. So I think universally that's probably where I, you know, most economists and, and people in the financial world would say is they, they should have started sooner, but we are where we are. So again, can't go back in time and change that. So they'll be working on raising interest rates and hopefully starting, you know, uh, selling assets off the balance sheet here soon too. So we'll get back to 10 apples and $10. Oh uh, yeah. Yep. That's the goal. That's the goal, you know, and, and like we talked about at the beginning, um, you know, or the first part of, of this episode, you know, the supply chain, the sooner that that can get back to normal will help because we'll go back from 
you know, and we're not at five apples now. Let's say we're at seven apples, but we need to get back to 10. You know, so as the supply chain starts working out, that's going to help. That's going to help a lot with inflation. But until they take that money back out of the economy, you know, there's no real other way to get back to a dollar per apple unless innovation and technology allows us to create 11 or 12 apples. You know, if we can get to that, perfect. But, you know, that that's not as direct of a causation as the Federal Reserve just taking that money back out and they have to you know they can't just take it all out at once that's the other part that would be terrible they have to do this over time and it's going to be a process um they just they need to get started on that process what would happen if they took it all out at once oh it'd be terrible uh market would crash because it's it's too big of a shock you know um i i don't have the exact figures but i mean we're, we're talking you know trillion trillions low trillions of dollars and if you just take that out in instant i mean you, you can't do that in in a day um it would it's kind of like interest rates when they're hiking interest rates they're going to do it methodically over a period of time you can't just go from zero to three percent interest rate federal funds like it's just bad you, you know, it's too much too much too quick you have to slowly um, you know, work your way out of this out of this problem. Has uh, technology and innovation quickened that process? As we continue um, to innovate the supply chain and just everything in general with you know information these days versus um, you know a market crash that yeah. replicates or looks similar similar. Yeah, it um this decade it you know that that's probably. Uh, could be a podcast in and of itself what you know technology and innovation has done to help the government you know kind of bail themselves out of a bunch of dumb decisions they've made over the last 50 years but it is you know technology makes you know kind of going back to that supply chain the more efficient we are which typically goes through you know technology or is provided by technology the more efficient we are the more apples we can produce um, that helps. That helps erase, you know, the error of having too much money in the money supply. If we could miraculously figure out how to get to 13 apples, well, now there's not a problem. Every apple is worth a dollar again. It's just, you know, I feel like the government has really been a benefactor of technology taking off and continuing to innovate. And at some point, you know, we're going to get out ahead of our skis, so to speak. Technology's bailed them out a lot. And, you know, there's going to be a, a time where we, we can't just, you know, maybe it's the next recession. Maybe it's three recessions from now. You, I don't know. But I think there's going to be a time where we can't continue to keep doing the same things we're doing and just hope that technology bails us out and innovation and efficiencies bail us out. Um, you know, we've had some really, really great prosperity here in in america and innovation and you know we continue to have that i just i don't know if it can keep up at the pace that government wants to keep spending and pumping money into the markets and or into the economy and, and all of that so um hopefully we don't get ourselves in a situation like this in the future and then we won't have to worry about it that would be nice yeah <laughs> it would oh man going to the grocery store is a it's a painful experience and yep. uh well, and that's the thing. That's inflation, you know. Um, and until I hope we get it goes it, down, though, like I feel like 
some depending on the industry it's just going to be oh that's what's the new expected price and we'll just keep it that way um yeah yeah there is a risk of that um but with that then then the counter to that is is hopefully wages increase at oh. the same which they currently are not keeping up um but you know if let's say we get inflation under control and even though prices stay where they are which is you know, a lot more than they were, depends upon what industry we're looking at. Um, you know, hopefully wages catch up. They're, n- they're not going to keep up right now, but hopefully they catch up in a year or two and now we're back to, um, you know. But they haven't over time, I mean. Uh, it depends what industry you're in. It really depends upon what industry you're in. Um, but yes, certain industries definitely have not kept up with inflation and, and particularly you know, the cost of housing, education, healthcare. I mean, those, those have been increasing at significantly higher, <clears throat> excuse me, significantly higher rates than other parts of the industry or other parts of the economy. Um, you know, and, and it's just, I mean, it is a unfortunate, um, you know, place that, that we're in, but it's, it's supply and demand. Houses are the prices that there are because people are willing to pay that and until people aren't willing to pay that sellers aren't going to just take less money to you know help out rising costs of, of houses they're going to sell for maximum i mean that that's what america is about you know so capitalism yeah the wages thing that would that could be an episode, I feel like. Oh, for sure. No, I think we should put that in, you know, for a future episode. It's it it hasn't. Um, you know, and, and especially with the inflation over the last couple of years, um, you know, f- because of the situation we're in now. I mean, it's it's making that a, a lot bigger hole that, you know, wages are gonna have to dig themselves out of. Now they're going up faster now than they have in, you know, previous years, but again, they're still not keeping up with overall inflation and you know, again, my hope is that we get inflation under control and wages continue to grow at the rate they're currently growing at so that they can catch back up, you know, and hopefully get ahead. That's obviously the other goal. It needs to be ahead of inflation. We shouldn't just have a job that you start at age 25 and you get a cost of living adjustment that matches inflation so that you never actually prosper. You just continue to stay at the same level your whole life. Right. Ooh, yeah, I think that definitely. I I, I don't want to belabor or um, elongate this this episode, but yeah, and yeah, that 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 could be a a couple stories or things that I've come across the last couple weeks that memes specifically. But I hope our our generation, as as uh, we continue to get older, there's hope. That four letter word that's powerful and dangerous in the same right but <laughs> yep my goodness uh there's just some common sense things that i think we take for granted and greed and a whole bunch of other things it's just some the common sense things that need to happen that hopefully you know politics right hopefully the next generation can changing of the guard yeah well that's that's what our congress is there for and our our elected officials so yeah hopefully they lead us in the right I mean that's what they're there for hopefully they lead us in the right direction are we really gonna trust 
I'm just kidding. I got one last question. You got anything else, Tanner? No, no, I think that's I think that's good. But yeah, what's your what's last you question? question? Well, we talked about apples so much. What's your favorite apple? <laughs> I actually don't eat apples. <laughs> you don't eat apples. Yeah, I uh, like I like applesauce, and you know, I'm, I, it's not that I don't like them. I just I'll eat like half of an apple, and I'll be like, okay, that that's enough. And you know, then it starts getting brown and gross, and so uh, if I had to pick one, it'd probably be a Honeycrisp. Um, but that is the correct answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But otherwise, you want to know why? Why? It's developed by the University of Minnesota. Oh, well, how wonderful. That was a, sp- a special apple um, species. Probably right. It, yeah. Sure. Version. Yeah, it was <laughs> developed at the University of Minnesota. So one of us. Nice. Well, they're good. Yeah, I'm not a big apple. Like it's honey crisper nothing because, like you said, if you get a crappy, soggy apple, nothing is worse mm-hmm. than a a red apple that sucks yep. and it's mushy. Yep. But all right. Well, take your thirteen dollars and go buy ten apples at the grocery store. And you're welcome. <laughs> all right, that'll do it for this episode of the F Sharp Podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, as always, we are committed to uh, the continuously providing the most accurate and relevant content and fun analogies. This episode was apples. Um, thanks to our listeners. If you have any questions or suggestions, please shoot us an email at podcast at financially That's podcast at financially Thanks for listening. See you in the next episode. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, tax, financial, or other professional services. Investment advisory services are offered through Harmony Wealth, a registered investment advisor authorized to do business in states where registered or otherwise exempt from registration. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please contact Harmony Wealth at 602-935-5155 or at HarmonyWealthAZ.com. 